Uh, did people in your family comment about the rising cost of various things? Well, the answer is everybody's in the constant state of sticker shock. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, I talk, for example, I just talk about my brother. He's wonderful. And, you know, he's used to paying $15 for a burrito if he wants one. What? Right. <laughs> What kind of burrito is that? Is it got like gold dust on it? You know, because that's what it is now, right? Yeah, I mean, I went back to uh, in Southern California and Arizona. There's uh, wonderful Mexican food, little Mexican family restaurants. And they have what I call these Mexican shack type places where it's just a walk up shack called Filiberto's or El Pollo Loco, where you go up and you get yourself, you know, some chicken this or beef that, burrito this, burrito that, ranchero eggs, whatever. It's just basic food. And I walked out of the hotel one morning to go get myself some breakfast at El Pollo Loco. And breakfast started at $12, $15. Mm. I, I, I was shocked. I was just like, uh, I, I want an egg. Mm. It was like four ninety nine to add an egg. <laughs> and I was like, oh, uh, what, whatever. Whatever. I, I, don't quote wow. me, but believe me, yes. It was, it was $4.99 for an it, egg? It was crazy. And so I have an answer for <laughs> oh, you wow. and on this. How do Americans deal with this? And the answer is a lot of them just don't go out to eat. Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Welcome to The Bridge. We're a show which connects East and West. My name is Jason. Today, we have a special guest, friend of The Bridge, Mario Cavallo, or Mr. Ma, as he's known in China, is an influencer and American who's lived in China for 24 years. He's an expert in communications, business, and a jazz pianist. He is also the author of four books, a fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. He's been featured in media, including CCTV, China Daily, The Global Times, The People's Daily, CGTN, Guangdong Today, and CRI. Welcome back to the show, Mario Cavallo. Jason, too many things going on. You know what? The good life is the busy life. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> well, you know, one of the reasons we really wanted to have you back on the show is because after living in China for two and a half decades, you just took a very long trip back to the United States. And, you know, for a lot of us, we get reverse culture shock. We'd like to take a look at your sojourn back to the lower 48. Where did you go? What did you see? And what surprised you? What shocked you? You bet. Because, you know, it was particularly a big deal to go back this time to visit family because we have to look at that backdrop, right? What happened this whole year, especially this past summer, there was a wave of travel from people, including us, who were, mm. and it was all over the world. It wasn't just in China, but we were locked inside China for over three years, right? Mm -hmm. And so what had happened was we had happened to visit my mom and my brother back in uh, Phoenix, Arizona in February of 2019. So that was like almost a year before the pandemic had began. So next thing you know, we're to the end of 2020 and the pandemic hits. Mm. And next thing you know, it's three plus years locked inside China. So it was actually, by the time we finally got back to see my mom and my brother and family and friends, mm. it was four and a half years. Now you think, okay, wait a minute. 
if I've got some blinders on or if we've got some culture shock, it's going to happen after that much time, right? This is what, you know what I mean? I mean, this was like, mm. wow. And you talk about, you know, oh, it's, such, it's a different place. Oh, America's a different place since four and a half years ago. And China's a different place since four and a half years ago. Well, <laughs> I was about to go back with my family to see it firsthand. But there was another aspect to it I want to mention, which even made it more critical and more interesting. And as it turns out, more wonderful. And that was the fact that the last time we went, our son was seven years old. And you know what? He doesn't remember. You don't remember much, right? You know, did you go on a trip when you were seven, right? You know, we all did. And do you remember much about it? No, you don't, mm -hmm. right? So you don't remember America. And this is to go back and see grandma, which was a big deal. Mm. By the way, we're very close. Our family is very close. We're in touch at least, you know, twice, once at least, not, not twice a week. So, you know, we chat and, and video calls have made being far away from one another still you can have a loving, wonderful relationships with your family all across the world. So that's nice, right? So mm -hmm. it's not like the old days back when you didn't see or speak to your family, you know, 50, even 50, even 40 years ago, they, you know, had barely just begun inventing the fax machine when, you know, the only way to communicate was, you know, long distance phone calls and letters, which took mm -hmm. three months to cross the ocean, you know? So it's a different world we live in now. And being this far from the family, though, is was still, like I'm saying, a good positive experience for us. So so it's important to understand that backdrop as well. And finally, we go back and give mom a nice, warm Italian hug, you know, <laughs> and my brother as well. But the thing was, this time, especially over the last year, our son, boy, did he grow up. I mean, he's going to be 12 next month. And so his mental and emotional capacity to see where he is now, to go, wait a minute, I'm going back to America. And then, to, you know, to see things, to see and experience this with his own eyes. Right. And to remember it and to be more cognizant, unconscious as a young adult. Right. Mm -hmm. So this was a big deal that we were bringing our son back to see America for the first time, really at an age where he was going to see it and absorb it and understand it and look at it and have opinions, values and ideas and judgments of his own. One of the things I do when I go back is I enjoy the food, mom's cooking. And on the West Coast, we have a In-N-Out Burger, Taco Bell, all that good stuff. What were your experiences? What were your son's experiences? What was your family's experience of actually being in the States? It was wonderful. And can you imagine how glad I am to be able to tell you that? Because as you know, I'm willing to be very critical of the problems that exist in the United States. Um, and the, the rotten, corrupt government mm -hmm. that causes the problems that exist in the United States. So I was fully prepared to go back there and find lots of trouble and see for myself how bad it is. And so I'm intentionally deceiving you by saying it was wonderful because I have. I well, I mean, I could see there probably were wonderful aspects, no doubt. This is what I exactly what I, I want to say. Wait a minute, Mario. It was wonderful. <laughs> yes, it was. And not only that, I can honestly say to you that our total vacation time, my son and I was 32 days. Now, my wife had to go back to Shenyang 12 days earlier than us because she needed to get back to work. So for her, it was about three weeks. Mm. I can honestly say every single day from the moment we left the house to the moment we returned that we had a wonderful holiday with no glitches. That and, sounds great. Yeah. And no unexpected family turmoil or fights or any weird stuff like that. I mean, it was just a wonderful, blessed holiday every single day as we had planned it out. And the plan was 
and then I'm gonna, you know, I'm telling the story a little bit longer version before I drop the other shoe here as to why I said it was so wonderful. We spent really four holidays in a row, four weeks in a row. We spent the first part of our, the first leg of our holiday, we flew, our best ticket deal was on Philippine Airlines. I'll tell you more about that later. So we, and we stopped in Manila. So we spent four days in Manila at the Manila Hotel, which was a wonderful idea. And then we took the flight from Manila onward to Los Angeles. We landed in Los Angeles and rented a car and down to stay in my old neighborhood where I had lived before I moved to China, which was Newport Beach, Balboa Island, Costa Mesa. And we stayed there for a week. During that time, my brother and mother drove from Phoenix to meet us there. So the family first spent the first week together, family reunion, in hanging out at the beach and Lido Marina and just really enjoying the Newport Beach, Costa Mesa, mm -hmm. Huntington Beach area. And that was a great way for the family to get back together. And again, like I said, it was my old neighborhood. And following that, we drove together to the Los Angeles port of San Pedro mm -hmm. and boarded the Emerald Princess and did a one week princess cruise, family reunion cruise together. How sweet. Yeah, how sweet. Right. And that was another amazing seven days together. But. It was also an American cruise because that cruise ship left Los Angeles, went up north at sea mm. and ported at the first port in the amazing controversial city of, mm. take a guess. I'm going to say San Francisco. I don't know. I have no idea. Exactly. Exactly. San Francisco. Exactly. San Francisco. And the ship spent overnight in San Francisco. So we actually had two days to tour around San Francisco. The first thing we did was go on the hop on hop off bus. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, San Francisco was amazing, mm. a wonderful, amazing, charming city. You know, it used to be the, one of the top tourist destinations in the whole world. And for good reason. What an amazing, charming place. And so we did that during the cruise and then down to San Diego, which was also terrific. Now, hang on. I'm leaving out some details, which I'll go, which will circle back around. We're I'm actually really confused as a San Franciscan. Every time I go back, I don't see I, not everything is amazing. So I'm a little. I, no, no, I know that. Thank you. I know. I know. I know. And I, ha I know because I'm not I haven't let the other shoe drop. Yet, I see. Right? I see. Because I'm telling you how amazing it all was. And I'm not exaggerating. And there's a reason why it was all amazing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, so we did San Francisco and then we went down to San Diego mm -hmm. and we did San Diego. And then we also even crossed the border and did a day in Ensenada before heading back to LA. That's when we took my wife to the airport and she had to come back to Shenyang. But we got in the car with my brother and my mother, my son and I, and we went back to Phoenix, Arizona mm -hmm. to stay with him and hang around with Uncle Nicky for, you know, 12 days mm. and before we finally came back. So we had four separate things happening during this holiday. And I told you that every day, every step of the way, it was wonderful. And it was. And the reason it was wonderful, Jason, mm -hmm. is you have to understand that what I just described to you was not America. It was upper middle class America. We were in the bubble, Jason. Mm. We were inside the bubble. From mm. the moment we arrived at Los Angeles Airport, we were inside the bubble. And that bubble, that American life and society is very nice and very impressive. And I'm not exaggerating at all. And the people are friendly. It's safe. There's no crime around. You go to Costa Mesa. Where, which was my old neighborhood. I used to actually, I was right down on the PCH, right across from the beach in Newport and up the hill to past Hogue Hospital was Costa Mesa. And we were there 
staying at the Wyndham and I'd step out of the hotel and I was walking around all the neighborhoods and I said to him, wow, everything was just squeaky clean and perfect. And then we visited my wife's uncle in Temecula, an hour and a half south inland, and everything was squeaky clean, perfect. And then we visited my friend in Diamond Bar up the 91, or I'm sorry, up the 57 in Los Angeles, and everything was squeaky clean, perfect. And then we got on, we went to Balboa Island. Of course, that's charming and wonderful at the beach. And we went on one of those little dinghies in the harbor, and everything was squeaky clean, perfect. And then we went on the cruise ship. And of course, that was squeaky clean, perfect. And then we went to San Francisco and we got on the hop on hop off bus, which showed us all the perfect, wonderful, squeaky clean parts of San Francisco. And it was. And we stopped in Chinatown mm -hmm. and we had an amazing time, except for one little thing that I noticed. A dish of lo mein was $20, you know, I mean, so the entire time this was happening, I need you. I want everyone to understand. We were in the upper middle class bubble mm. of the United States. We got in the car <laughs> wow. and we drove back to Phoenix, Arizona. My brother lives in the central North Phoenix. So does my mom. Not millionaires lane, but, you know, half a million, $600,000 houses, $800,000 houses, right? I mean, uh, this is not regular America. This is not the 60% of people who don't have a penny left at the end of the month and have no money in the bank. This is upper middle class America. My family is blessed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. My family and friends that I visited in Temecula, oh, my other friend in uh, San Diego, everyone lives the upper middle class life and has good jobs, earning at least, you know, six, eight, ten or more thousand dollars per month mm. and has no problem being able to afford what you have to pay in rent to live the upper middle class life, which I noticed is twenty five hundred mm. US dollars a month. So now you understand what I'm saying. It was wonderful. But boy, oh boy, you need to have money to be able to live inside that bubble. And so I never got to see, mm -hmm. you see what I mean? I never got to see the other 50% of the society where I know for a fact people are struggling and don't have a dime to pay the bills. And because of the inflation of the last two, three years, where, and the incompetent government over there, all these policies favoring people who already have money and letting everybody else in the society go down the tubes. And I was just on the edge of what I suspect you're going to ask me about real soon is, well, didn't you see any homelessness? And the answer was, yeah, as long as I was willing to step outside of the bubble, because you're on the hop on hop off bus going all around San Francisco, right? And you get off the bus and we were near Union Square and at the park over there down around. And if you start walking two, three blocks off of the main road of Chinatown, oops, oops. Yeah. Anywhere to the west of there is not generally the safest place in the world. The upper middle class bubble of America is a very safe place. It's a safe place. It's a wonderful place. And mm. that's where we spent our 27 days. And that's what I want to impress upon everyone is, yes, it is wonderful. And I admire it. I do. It's a really good, it's a well-oiled machine, that society over there. As long as you got money. Well, I have a question for even for people who have money, obviously inflation is going to affect them too. Uh, did people in your family comment about the rising cost of various things? Well, the answer is everybody's in the constant state of sticker shock. Mm. Yes. Mm. Yes. I mean, but, you know, I talk for example, I just talk about my brother. He's wonderful. And, you know, he's used to paying $15 for a burrito if he wants one. What? <laughs> right. 
What kind of burrito is that? Is it got like gold dust on it? You know, because that's what it is now, right? Yeah, I mean, I went back to uh, in Southern California and Arizona. There's uh, wonderful Mexican food, little Mexican family restaurants. And they have what I call these Mexican shack type places where it's just a walk-up shack called Filiberto's or El Pollo Loco, where you go up and you get yourself, you know, some chicken this or beef that, burrito this, burrito that, ranchero eggs, whatever. It's just basic food. And I walked out of the hotel one morning to go get myself some breakfast at El Pollo Loco. And breakfast started at $12, $15. Mm. I, I was shocked. I was just like, uh, I want an egg. Mm. It was like four ninety nine to add an egg. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my. what, whatever. Whatever. I, I, don't quote wow. me, but believe me, yes. It was, it was $4.99 $4. for an it, egg? It was crazy. And so I have an answer for <laughs> oh, you wow. and on this. How do Americans deal with this? And the answer is a lot of them just don't go out to eat. You eat at home. Now, you go to the grocery store and you notice how so many things are expensive. Mm. And, and this includes places like the big box warehouses where you go, where my family shops at Costco. You go to Costco and it's food wonderland. Mm -hmm. But what you then notice is certain staple items are available inexpensively. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you live on and you yes, and you live on those. So we would go, for example, to we would go to Fry's. So my brother, we would always go to either Costco or Fry's supermarket, which is up the road. Really? That, you know, those are the, and, and a Walmart. So those are the three places where you do your shopping. Because America's shopping center lifestyle, it was 20 years ago when I left, which means, you know, there's no more small mom and pop shops like you have still in a lot of other economies. You know, the big box went in there and, and all the small businesses are out of business. This is the part of the mm -hmm. problem. They gutted the middle class and their ability to earn money. Now they have to just get jobs and work at Walmart. So that's, that's part of the problem of what they did. They ruined the American middle class society. But on the other hand, if you're upper middle class and you want to go shopping at Costco, your life is wonderful. You see, so and but when you go to Costco or you go to Fry's and you walk in and go, whoa, well, mm. that and that and that and that and that is really expensive. But then you know, but then a hundred percent, you know, a hamburger patty or hamburger, and you go, oh, boom, and then it's this big one kilogram package for ten dollars, and you go, oh, that's not expensive. So you grab that, mm. and then oh, oh, and these dozen eggs is on sale for one forty nine. Eggs, by the way, are back down to a normal three dollars a dozen. They had shot up to about ten, but now they're back to a normal three dollars a dozen. But then they even had eggs as low as a dollar forty nine a dozen. And my brother's like, yeah, grab three of those. So you see, certain things would go on sale, certain things would be at low prices. So if you're living at home yeah. and on a budget in America, you don't eat out. You don't eat out because you can't go spend less than $15. You don't have the, I'm saying, what I'm saying is the, the critical point I want to make here is you don't have the option. See, here in China, you have the option. If you need and want to live inexpensively in China, even in Beijing, even in Shanghai, even in Shenzhen, even, and then in any other major city in China, of course, if you want to live and eat inexpensively, you can and you don't to take your life in your hands. I would like you to compare, you know, you're in Shenyang. I was just there. It's a very lovely city. That's amazing. Could you compare the cost of living just for consuming things in Shenyang versus your bubble experience in the United States? Yeah, uh, average four times lower. Four times. Yeah, if I had to off the top of my head pick a number, I'd say 4x. So 3x to For the same quality of service and goods. 3x to 6x. 3x to 6x. Wow. Lower. That's remarkable. So in terms of... We are talking such sticker shock 
and that was the only shock. I don't know how they put it into words, man. I mean, you're just like, oh my God, everything's so expensive. You just can't believe it. Wow. In terms of COVID, you know, a lot of people yeah. were not traveling. And like you said, people are traveling a lot more now. How was your flight? Was the airplane full or was it sparsely populated? Full to the hilt in both directions with flights sold out days before and weeks before and weeks after on Philippine Airlines, which I highly recommend. Flew them for the first time and it was um, absolutely the best international flight we ever took in both directions. We, we nailed airfare for about 11,000 RMB per person, which was reasonably good, not too high. Not, it wasn't that cheap either, but at catching that airfare at that price, they were offering the lowest prices through, through South Korea on other airlines, through Seoul and Tokyo. Fares were like 13, 15, 18,000. So for whatever reason, you know, I booked it two months earlier and I grabbed Philippine Airlines. I was like, oh, that's interesting. And someone else said that they had a really good experience on Philippine Airlines. And that's because I, I'm familiar with Manila. I worked on cruise ships many, many years ago. So I'd spent six weeks in Manila at the Maritime, Mike Saisai Maritime School to get my certifications to work on ships. And so I, and of course, I love Manila. I love Southeast Asia, you know, Philippines. Um, and so I said to my wife, hey, let's stay an extra four or five days in Manila. You'll really enjoy it. And she was like, great. Because, you know, and again, we want our son to see these different countries and these different cultures. So that's why we went through Manila. We were very happy to go on Philippine Air. And it was a terrific experience. And I guess, again, everybody was doing what we were doing. This was the summer mm. for so many people in China to travel out for the first time in four years. So the flights were packed in both directions all summer long. Oh, yeah. You're listening to The Bridge. Well, I have a question in terms of because they've just been new flights added between China and the United States yeah, um, at yeah. the highest levels by executive order. So I'm wondering, is that something that is going to facilitate, in your opinion, more people to people exchanges? Are there these additional flights going to be full also in your guess? My guess is there's zero guess that those flights are going to be packed. The demand for these additional flights is through the roof. The people on the Chinese side want these flights, and the demand is through the roof. Mm. So there's no question in my mind about that. Now, the incoming tourism, as you know, it's down for lots of different reasons. The primary reason being that, unfortunately, you know, the United States government and media has been engaged in a rotten, despicable anti-China campaign. And so you know, that puts a pall on, well, why do you want to go to China? There's lots of other Asian places you could go besides China. So why go there? Mm -hmm. So that would put a mental damper on the idea of visiting China, which is otherwise a wonderful place to visit. They're not making it that easy to get a visa and fly here. They need to make it easier for tourists to come in, you know, in terms of getting a Chinese visa, going through the embassy, blah, 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 blah. I mean, they need to make that process easier. In fact, mm -hmm. I was just looking at an article from one of the top uh, deputies in the China, in Beijing government saying this exactly, that, that we've got to, uh, China, meaning China, has got to up their game on making it more, uh, making it easier for tourists who want to come here. I agree with you completely. Even I have a green card. You have one oh, too, right? Oh, yeah, Jason. Yeah, the green card. So Thank like, you, God. You know, there right. are a lot of conveniences that come along with it, but it's still a little challenging. Like even for us with green cards, some of the hotels yeah. 
it's difficult yeah. to access them. I yeah. mean, for all of the four and five star hotels, no problem, right? Yeah. So like, you know, we can stay at the Hilton all day long, but like some of these mom and pop style two star kind of hotels, they're less accessible to us sometimes. Absolutely. And traveling all around China, you say, oh, so sorry, we can't, we don't take foreigners here. And it's for technical reasons. Their software system in their hotel doesn't accept English words. <laughs> you know, that's the main reason. And then, in, right. in you know, it's, it's like for technical reasons. It's like the hotel software system accepts your name. And also at the end of the day, they send a list by email to the local PSB, to the local police station right. saying that we have these registered guests staying in our hotel. And so then they know you're there. Great, fine. But these hotels don't do that for foreigners because the systems don't accommodate English. This is a very Chinese country, right? I wanted to ask you, I've been reading articles from the United States about changes in culture. One thing I've noticed is that tipping has gone from when I was a kid, you know, I was young, it was oh. 15%. Now it's going 20, 25%. Oh. Did you, what kind of habits like this did you notice that had changed in the U.S. when you went back? What you just mentioned, and I, and it's really quite ridiculous. And it's all, you know, it's people feeling sorry for the people that they know don't have any money because everybody's dealing with inflation. So then, then there becomes this psychology mm. that says, oh, you've got to give the waiters more money. And the restaurants and the waiters and waitresses have definitely pushed this. Uh, I didn't like it being pushed on me. And I'll give you an example. We went for a nice breakfast on Lido Marina in Newport Beach, where I used to work. And we went for a nice waterfront breakfast right where the yachts are parked, you know, the million dollar yachts. And it was wonderful. And you expect the meal to cost 20 bucks a head for, you know, a nice place for a nice breakfast right on the marina. But a nice full meal, delicious, amazing, wonderful food and Sunday morning. And there's only two ladies that were there to take care of the guests. And they were very nice and everything was perfect. But she said, our counter service today only. Oh, great. No problem. Meaning. When you're ready, get up, go up to the, not even get, go pick it up, go order it. So get up to the count. When you're ready, here's your menu. When you're ready, get up, go, go up to up. the front counter and the girls st standing there and order breakfast for everybody, which I did. Great. And I ordered breakfast for, you know, six people and order, order this and order. And again, it was all nice, friendly. How are you today? Great. Wonderful. Ah, terrific. Ah, ah. Order it up and, and there's no table service. Right. So you, I'm standing there like a McDonald's, you know, and I'm, I'm, oh, I'm great. Hi, how you doing? Great. Oh, wonderful. Oh, how the, oh, the, oh yeah. The, the eggs with the avocado is so good. Great. I'll have that. Mm. Yeah, okay. Great. $120 and 88 cents. Oh, here's, here's your total, sir. Just look at the screen. And she says, here's your total, sir. Just look at the screen and hit enter when you're ready, which was a very odd choice of words. Okay. I was like, yeah, I'm not either. Cause I, I looked at her and went, hit enter when you're ready. And I went, she said, check the total and hit enter when you're ready. And I went, okay. Hmm. So I checked the total and there it was subtotal. And then the next line down on the screen was the tip, which was previously chosen at 20% pre-selected. And I could choose other buttons, 15%, 20%, 25%. But it was defaulted at 20% and then added to the total at the bottom of the digital screen. And then all I had to do was hit enter and everything was fine, hunky-dory and dandy. Mm. Doesn't sound right to me. You know, I was like, excuse me, we're not even getting table service today. And you want me to pay a 20% tip on a $120 meal, right? Mm. I, so I changed it to 15. You know, I'm sorry. Call me cheap if you want, right? And then I hit enter. I was like, 
And I didn't say anything to her. I didn't complain. I didn't say a word. I just was like, I just, because there's nothing to complain about. It's just, this is the way it is, right? She didn't do anything Mm. wrong. So I wasn't faulting her or complaining, but I was like, wait a minute, I'm not even getting table service and you want me to pay a 20% tip? I wouldn't pay any tip. But that, of course, was, and that was an option too. No tip. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do that. So I just paid a 15% tip. So this is very much part of American culture. And this is the way it is. This is the experience that I had. Well, you mentioned a computer screen. So, you know, I haven't been to America really in 10 years. And back then it was paper menus and, uh, you know, cash. So could you talk about touchless payment methods? What Because in, here in China, only old people use cash, right? <laughs> so what was the experience like in the United States? Have they caught up with China? No, they haven't. And I'm so glad that they haven't. <laughs> you said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What are you talking about? <laughs> no, they haven't. And I, I'm laughing and I'm... I'm so happy to share this with you because I'm holding in my hands what I love. And you know what it is that I love, Jason? I cash. cash? I love cash. <laughs> and in America, it's the same as it was 20 years ago. Oh, they're still using cash. No, now they're using both. They're using cash and swipe your credit card. Oh, I see. Okay. And that's what and swipe your debit or credit card. Now, there's one minor change, which is now that all cards now have this. All cards in America have this uh, RFID RFID chip. So instead of swiping your card, you just stick it in the slot and it reads the RFID chip, right? But either way, you're at the grocery store, you're in the restaurant, and you have two choices to pay. One is hand them your credit card, debit card, and they do it, and it gets swiped. If you're at the grocery store, you can still get cash back. And or pay cash. My brother always has cash in his pocket. My uncle used to always have a big wad of Mm. cash in his pocket, a few hundred. And I love that too. And I got to be honest, I like cash. I love doing cash. I think it's fun, you know, and I wish we still had, I like, you know, piles of hundred RMB bills. You still can. I mean, you can. And China, I think they're legally required to use cash if you have it. Because in the grocery stores, I always get in the line where there's still a checkout person at my local (laughs) Walmart. And uh, it's always me and the old people because, you know, I I don't want to use the ats. It's too complicated for me and scan all my own stuff. So it's like me and the old people and all the old people in that line, they have cash. That's what old people have in China. Yes, 100%. And, and, you know, like uh, the thing is that as you know, if you have cash in China, yes, you can use it in still the majority of places, but very few people do. But you know, I'm holding in my hand right now, I've got $26 of US cash and I've got $100 worth of Philippine pesos. And then I've got another 100 worth of Mexican pesos. And it's just, it's cash and it's fun and I like it. <laughs> it sounds like Doc Holliday. Yeah, right. perfectly... The Doc in Back to the Future <laughs> when he opens his briefcase is full of different currencies. Yeah. Yeah. So cash is fun and cash is still cash is fun and cash is still alive and well back in America. You know, I view that as a good thing. Did you have a chance to other than the hop off bus to take regular metro subway uh, bus, any kind of thing like Uh, that? No, we did. We didn't do any kind of uh, subway or metro, obviously, in Southern California. We did go on the train ride in the San Diego Zoo, <laughs> but that's about it. Well, how do zoos compare? You've been to zoos up here in China, and how did they, the zoo there compare to zoos in here? It's a great subject. It's a great question. I wanted to make <laughs> sure you asked me this because, okay, first of all, we lived in Shanghai, and here in, okay, even here in Shenyang, there's a respectable, nice zoo, 
and mm. a wild animal park. And in Shanghai, there is a even better Hongqiao Zoo and out in Pudong, the big wild animal park. But I want to talk about the zoo specifically because they're more like a traditional zoo, you know, a, you know, a garden-y kind of place. And the Shenyang Zoo is lovely. Mm. The Shanghai Hongqiao Zoo is even better. It's really nice. I mean, we've been to it. We, you know, we mm. were raising our son, Vincent. He was from infant to about five years old while we were living in Shanghai. And then after that, we moved to Hangzhou. And that's what I want to tell you next. So we had this years of where we had a young baby, you know, a young toddler. Well, you go to the zoo a lot. So we so many times enjoyed going to the Hongqiao Zoo and can attest to how excellent a zoo it is. The conditions for the animals, the animals, everything about it and the variety. It was wonderful. I never got bored going to the Hongqiao Zoo. And even better than a, a step up, but even better when we went to the Hangzhou Zoo when we lived there for two years in 16 and 17. And again, same story, but a more lush uh, environment in the Hangzhou Zoo. Hangzhou is a lovely, lovely city to live, the tea fields, the zoo and everything. And the cost to go into these zoos is like in the neighborhood of four bucks. Jason, it cost me $210 to walk my family, my three of us, into the San Diego Zoo, seven, 60, 70 bucks a piece. Hmm. Well, how many people are we counting? Yeah, 65 something, 65, 68 for me and my wife. And 60 bucks a piece? 68 for my boy, something like that. And so the thing is, the San Diego Zoo has the reputation of being one of the greatest zoos on planet Earth. And I had been there years and years and years and years ago. Also, as a reference, 15 years ago, my wife and I were married and we went to Malaysia and Singapore for our holiday honeymoon. And we went to the famous, amazing Singapore Zoo. Was the San Diego Zoo disappointing? No, it was not. It was a lovely, wonderful zoo. Was it any nicer than the Hongqiao Zoo or the hmm. Hangzhou Zoo? Nope. Was it bigger? I think it was bigger, but was it nicer? Was it better? No. Now, it did have a cable car, which was included in the price, so you did get a cable car ride. So, you know, you can throw, throw 10 bucks up for that, right? But otherwise, I want you to know, this is, to this day, this was my number one outrage purchase. Hmm. Of my entire 32-day trip where burritos were 12 and $15, you know, which you could say, sticker shock. The number one purchase that irks me to this day was fulfilling my darling wife's dream and taking her to the San Diego Zoo. Over $200 to go to the zoo. It was absolutely ridiculous. You know, my wife and I, we were just in Chengdu. So we went to the famous Chengdu Panda Zoo. Yeah. I think it was like five quai, right. which is yeah. like a buck, a dollar yeah. So yeah. for each of us. It was It was also, here's the thing. It's also really big, like bigger than Disneyland big. But the thing is, we didn't have time to see all of it yeah. because it's just one day and there's this yeah. gigantic park. So big isn't always necessarily better. But I do get it. You know, animals are expensive. Their diets are expensive. Maybe China is funding them publicly, like through tax money. No, I don't know. But look, it's the whole base of cost is completely different right right yeah just the entire it's the whole economic base we call it purchasing power parity right mm, mm. okay something is odd something is wrong in the system when you go to one system and you know oh my knee hurts oh i think i pulled a ligament get a get an mr you know get a get a ct scan and you go to the hospital to do that in america and someone's going to get billed you know 2500 us dollars you do that here, and, and and by the way, it doesn't get scheduled for two weeks, and you don't get the results back for two weeks. Right. Whereas here in China, you walk into a hospital and say, my knee hurts, I think I pulled a ligament, and they say, oh, good, you should get a CT scan. And you get a CT scan, you pay $50, and the result comes out within one hour, and you 
get handed the result and you discuss it with the doctor. I mean, there's a the gap there mm, is unspeakable. Mm. Especially in medical care where people's lives are literally on the line. Yeah, yeah. So this is the stuff about America that can make you kind of just scratch your head and go, whoa. Now we go all the way back. Hang on, Jason, because I want to go all the way back to my comment back in the beginning. You asked me how my trip was to America, and I told you. It's wonderful. It was wonderful every single day. And I also said, if you have money. And that is the situation over Mm. there. That's what I came away with. I wanted to ask you, because you already answered this question, but I'm going to ask it again anyways, friendliness in America, because you have classes now that are becoming more Mm -hmm. obvious in U.S. society. Did you encounter any people from less affluent classes that seemed disgruntled by their situation? No, I just never got out of that bubble to do that. And so we went to restaurants, we went up to a place called Bartlett Lake and dealt with the guys like handling the boat rentals at the marina. I mean, uh, you can assume those guys are not super high paid, right? You know, store clerks all around, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, Los Angeles, Southern California, store clerks and shop clerks. And I mean, all these are the mostly the younger middle age and middle aged Americans who are, of course, not making a whole bunch of money working in these shops, right? We call service level jobs. And that's that's the that's the quote lowest end of the income spectrum that I was Mm. involved in. I was always in nice places. I was never in the lower income areas of any areas of anywhere I was, meaning Mm. Southern California, Los Angeles or the Phoenix area or even up in San Francisco. And people, Americans, the majority of them are wonderful, friendly people like they are in most countries, you know, and then, you know, 20, 30% of them are out of their minds with this, their liberal, woke, leftist insanity. Hmm. And those people are more vocal and active, but out there on a daily basis in life, where we were in that upper middle class bubble, nah, you don't find too many of those troublemaking kind of people. You just, people are educated, right? And, and it's the same in America as it is in China. When you go into the lower income areas of China and you go into the lower income areas of America, two things are the same. <laughs> less educated people tend to be a bit rougher, a little bit, a little less polite, a little less friendly, a little bit more rude, a little bit more short. But that's just a function of their education levels. And that's true in places like China or in places like America. But then if you go further down, because you're talking about low-income urban people, they tend to be a bit more grumpy because they're struggling, right? But then when you go further down the spectrum, you go into the countryside where people don't even think about money, and actually people are more friendly again. Ta-da! Isn't that interesting, right? You go mm-hmm. Chinese people who are the most poor are the ones who live on the farms. Now, mm-hmm. they're not really poor like they are in America because they live on farms. They have plenty of they, they have plenty of food. They've got chickens and goats and rabbits and ducks and <laughs> goose running around, and they've got plenty of eggs, and they got their farm fields. So Chinese farmers in China who are supposedly mm. poor aren't poor at all, okay? Right, so this is the right. other distinction. 
You know, I had an economist, Michael Dunford, who teaches here in Beijing from Sussex University. He said the same thing, that a lot of people, including myself, make the mistake of thinking that China raised 700 million people out of poverty. He said that's not true. Mao already had raised hundreds of millions of people out of poverty because by giving them farmland and they became rich in the way that you're describing. And it was only really three or 400 million people that have been raised out of poverty since 1980. That's right. That's exactly right. And people misunderstand. There's no question about it that when things spun out of control in the late six, during the 60s into the early 70s during the Cultural Revolution, that that was a rotten period of time where and bad things happened. And there's no doubt about that. But people don't understand. Well, <laughs> then why do so many people in China admire Mao? And why is his statue in the middle of Tiananmen Square? It's because it's yeah, in every town across the entire country. Yeah, and it's because of what you just said. It's because Mao, Chiang Kai-shek was a rotten dictatorial who was running the country. He was. He was terrible. And Mao beat him. And I'm explaining it the way James Bradley, the author of the wonderful historian and author of The China Mirage, you got to read it. Um, James Bradley explained it very well. Mm. He says Mao beat Chang, and Chang left. He fled to Taiwan after he got his butt kicked. Well, Chang was a miserable, rotten leader. The, the circumstances for the Chinese citizens during the 20s and 30s under Chiang Kai-shek were terrible. You know, the guy was a real dictator. People were living under nasty circumstances and rules and laws. And this is why Mao's People's Liberation Army, this is why they rose up and split with him and did their long march, which, as you know, I hosted the documentary about part of the long march. And that's how I learned about all this. And mm-hmm. so what did Mao do? Is he took the farmlands out of the hands of the government and gave it back to the people. Now you understand China's background and history a little bit more clearly. Mm. Well, I have a question. It's not related to Chinese history as much as, and this is a question that really I want to know, because I, having lived in China so much, this is something I'm a little distant from. So when you're meeting your own family or your family, friends, all those kinds of folks, what were people's impressions about Sino-U.S. relations and about China specifically? Were they buying into the media narratives or what? Unfortunately, the answer is overall, there's a very low level of interest. Mm. in such foreign matters in America. And that's nothing new. You have to, and when I went back, that's what it was. When you bring up China to amongst your group of friends and start, and they say, how are things in China? If you actually try to engage in a lengthy conversation with them to answer that question in the full richness that it deserves, the conversation's over within two or three minutes. Their eyes glaze over <laughs> with disinterest. Interesting. That's actually, you know, I had the same experience five yeah. years ago talking to my family. I was like, I've been in yeah. China for like eight years at that point yeah. or something. And I was wanted to tell them what it was like. And they were just, they didn't care. Well, look at American news. Okay, this was, again, this is what's the same about America. And I'm, let's try and discuss this without judging it. 20, 30 years ago, let's say 30 years ago. Now, that's a really long time. Okay, I'm revealing my age. 30 years ago, I was a full-fledged thinking adult, and 33, <laughs> I was 33 years old, okay? And back then, I noticed, I, I was like, I was one of the only adults around hmm. me who had any interest in the rest of the world. <laughs> it's incredible. It's incredible that I'm telling you this. <laughs> to tell you this is, is remarkable. And that's America. You know, they don't... People in, this was 33, 30 years ago, right? 
Mm. People didn't have passports. Very few people went to Europe. Very few people went overseas. Very few people had any interest in doing so. Mm. Inclu- but I did. I was one of the only ones. I was like, oh, I got work in Canada. Really cool. I'm going to go to Canada. Well, I had a chance to go to Puerto Rico. I was so excited about that, you know. And then I had another chance to go do some seminar. I was doing leadership seminars and mm. up on stage. You know, I'm always in communications. That's my career work in general. And I had a chance to go do some work up on stage down in Cancun at some big event in Mexico. I was like, great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, can I stay an extra month and hang out? You know, I mean, I was interested in foreign cultures, but the vast majority of people around me had no interest. Now, that was 30 years ago. Now, when I go... And this is in Arizona. No, it doesn't matter, Arizona. I'm an Italian New Yorker. I moved to Arizona, but I was traveling around the country. I was in Dallas, Texas. Mm. Nobody has any interest in anything else outside of America. Mm. And they don't have passports. I think my brother may finally have gotten a passport after 10 years, so I'm excited about that. Right. Now, that's 30 years ago, right? So now, if you ask me, was it much different, what I'm describing to you, the lack of interest in international affairs, was it much different when I just went back to America and I visited, I told you, I had a wonderful visit. My family, my friends, they're wonderful people. Mm-hmm. We had a wonderful visits every single day. I caught up with old friends who I love and respect and had amazing conversations with. But international affairs was not on the menu. There's mm-hmm. no interest. Mm-hmm. There's because, and it's partially because of the, their own world doesn't allow it. Look at the webs. Look at their daily meet. Look at Fox News. Look at MSNBC. Look at CNBC. Just look CNN. Just look. They don't talk about international affairs. Well, let's flip that on its head. When you talk to your Chinese friends, is there a lot of interest in international affairs? No, there's a lot of interest in exploring the international world, but there's not a lot of interest in in international affairs. Chinese don't want to know or talk about politics. They don't care about it, which is a very good thing. It's a waste of time, the degree to which America has, American government has fausted on the American people this fake idea that they should be involved in the conversation. They're giving them this fake freedom of speech that has no value whatsoever, and they're being encouraged to take part in politics. What they're doing is being distracted and encouraged to waste their time because nothing changes in Washington. Okay, Washington is run by millionaires and billionaires, not by people's opinions and the common people's opinions. So it's a waste of time for them, for people, the common American people, to be up on Twitter voicing their voices and thinking that it's worth something. It's worth nothing at all. The United States is an oligarchy run by billionaires, okay? And we know this. This is not my opinion. This is easily demonstrable. It's apodictically true. Whereas here in China, it's the opposite. The government is expected to do a good job running the country. You're beholden to the government to do that, and you hope that they do that. Fortunately, and that's the key word, Fortunately, over the last 30 years, the Chinese government has been probably the best-run government ever in the history of its entire existence, especially the last 20 years on top of that. The Chinese government is doing a great job, and the people know that, which is why the country's government is trusted and people have a trust and satisfaction level for their country. It's the highest in the world, along with Singapore. Now, if the government doesn't do a good job, then the people are victims of that. But that's true in any country. The government of the United States is doing a rotten job, has been for 30 plus years, and the people are the victims of that. 
So, you know, in my mind, this is how I am parsing through all these kinds of variables. And in the end, the Chinese people say, well, what are you interested in? Oh, I'd love to go visit Europe. I'd love to. It'd be, oh, it's amazing. It's wonderful. I want our son to go to Europe for a couple of years and get his education there. And what about European politics? They go, what? They don't have any interest in that at all, but they want to go. You see what I mean? So now you say to an American, oh, I'd love to go to Europe. You don't hear Americans saying that. They just don't say it. You know, they just like, no, I'm going to Disney World. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, Disney World's a lovely place. (laughs) Right. America's. And again, this is just states of mind. And but the society there puts them in the bubble, puts them in that bubble. And America's American exceptionalism. America's the greatest city country in the world. If you want to go see anywhere beautiful, you know, go to the Colorado Rocky Mountains, go to Disney World in Florida go you can stray to canada and mexico but you don't need to go beyond north america everything you need is right here and that's america america the beautiful you had obviously as someone who's been living abroad for 24 years plus because you've been to all these other countries as well and worked there also when you went to the united states you know you had one kind of experience but you were there for a long time when i go back i'm there for like a week but you went back for more than a month, 32 days. And then you returned home to Shenyang. What was your experience of coming back to China after having lived in this uh, upper middle class American bubble? So we were there our last 13, 12, 13 days back in Phoenix, Arizona, basically just hanging out with family and friends, staying at my, you know, staying at Uncle Nicky's house, my brother, and had such a wonderful time every day. And then get in the car and pop back over to get driven basically right to the LAX airport, okay? And was perfectly happy and ready to go home. My wife, of course, was, you know, waiting for us to come back home. And I was perfectly ready to go. I was like, wow, we had a wonderful 30 days and I'm looking forward to going back home. Got on the plane, had a, sat in the waiting area in LAX and with my hungry son and didn't want to spend $30 on two hamburgers, right? Because I wanted to eat, didn't want to spend $30 on two hamburgers. So I had bought some food at Costco, put it in my bag. So we had some food to eat because a hamburger at LAX or any <laughs> other food that you wanted to eat. Again, there's that. There's this new $15 floor under the price of everything in case you want to eat a bite of anything. It costs you $15. It's just ridiculous. So I didn't, you know, I was looking at that. I was like, otherwise, again, happy, a happy, wonderful experience and beautiful people and airport and everything and sitting in LAX airport and get on the plane. And 14 right. hours later, we arrived in Manila. And I like that terminal too. It's a little bit more rough and normal and regular and it's not so fancy schmancy. And I walked into the one of the many restaurants, little shops in the Manila airport and got myself a cheeseburger for three dollars. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and picked myself up a pack of, you know, a big huge bag of fresh, amazing, delicious Philippine coconut macaroons for three dollars and, mm. and chicharrones, which you know, the pork fried pork rinds, Filipino style. And mm-hmm. I, I, I Got myself a bag of all that great stuff to bring home at, you know, one sixth the prices of, you know, back at the LAX airport. And then we took the flight back to Beijing and stayed with a a good friend for a night to kind of settle in and relax. We're very familiar with Beijing. We love it. And, you know, we were dealing with the time change and was felt so happy to be back back in China. And then the next day took the two and a half hour high speed rail back to Shenyang. And every second just felt so happy to be back home. 
and walked in my our home, which we own for you know 10 years now, and just felt so happy to be back to Shenyang. And that was three weeks ago. And we still feel, I still feel very happy to, to be back in Shenyang. <laughs> and we're just booked our trip. We're going to go to Hong Kong for a week over the October holiday. We're looking forward to that. Well, I have a question for you. This, you know, at the beginning of the show, you mentioned your 12, your almost one month, 12 year old son, and that yeah. he had been basically raised in China and that he was going back with a new set of eyes and a new memory yes. that's mature enough to remember yes. and make value judgments about. How did he experience when yes. he explained to you, dad, what did he say to you about how he felt about his experience of going to America? Okay. Emotionally and mentally, it was such, I know, because I watch my, I've learned something as a parent. You watch your child from a distance and that's when you, and you can gauge how they're doing. You see how they're acting and interacting in the world when they're by themselves, mm. when they're with other people, when they're with other adults, when they're with other kids their age. And you, as a parent, step back and watch them doing that from a distance, and you can gauge the emotional and mental and social health of your child. And he's wonderful. And I could tell that he was like a sponge, emotionally and mentally absorbing it all. And he didn't have a lot to say about it, though. He was just like, I see it. I get mm. it. I got it. He didn't have a lot to say about it. He was just like, he understood that we were, and he understood what I was saying to you, that, hey, we're, you know, my family, my family back <laughs> in America, our family, as we're very comfortable life back here in Shenyang as well, right, here in China, that, you know, we're living the good life. We're very fortunate. We have no worries, no troubles, no financial pressures, and neither does our family, our uncle and grandma mm -hmm. back in America. Everybody's really good, and wow, it's very nice. And that was his impression. Mm -hmm. And that's it, you know, so I, and I explained to him along the way, as parents are supposed to do that, understand that, you know, people over here, um, a lot of them don't have, if you don't have any money, you know, then it's different, then you're in trouble. And he saw some, we saw some of those homeless people in Los Angeles and in, uh, and in San Francisco and in a few in Phoenix as well. And you don't see those people here. And so he got the point, he understood it. And it was an amazing experience that I can tell just by watching my son. Mm -hmm that it matured him. It did what I wanted it to do. It opened his eyes to the world. That's fantastic. Any last thoughts before we close the show, Mario? Honestly, no. I think we've really covered it. <laughs> I, we've covered it all so nicely, Jason. And this is the point. That, Thank you, Mario. You did 95% of the talking, so that makes my job a lot easier. <laughs> well, you know, I always say, people say I talk too much, but what can I, I, I don't know. I'm sorry. Well, sorry. Hey, you're that. perfect for radio. <laughs> you're supposed to talk too much on the radio. This has been a fantastic hour for myself and our listeners. Thank you so much for your time, Mario. Thank you for your time, listeners. If you want to be part of the show, please email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. And Mario, where can we find you online uh thanks for asking i did want to mention because i'm doing some really cool things right now first of all there's a lot of important commentary that's on an ongoing basis regarding china and the world please go and subscribe to my newsletter counterpoint china which is at mariocavolo.substack.com. And you can find that easily if you, you know, do a search in Google. And also, I'm on Twitter. I'm active on Twitter. Same at my name, Mario Cavolo. I post on Facebook, and, and I post in my WeChat account inside here in China as well. Thank you, Mario. Oh, yeah.